I think, you know, we are defined by what we love, but we're also defined by what we hate. You know, uh, I mean, I think we could, you know, like I hate hospitality. Okay. There. I hate it. I hate thinking about the audience and their needs. And I hate thinking about how we're going to shuffle them from place to place. So then what I do is I find those people that are just geeked out by hospitality. I find people that love what I don't love and that catch my blind spots. I love collaborating with people. So that. And that takes risk, you know, especially when you move to a new city where you don't have those people that I did life with, you trust. You just go and have conversations, have coffee, you connect and you invite. People love to get invited to something that's worthy, you know, and it's exciting and vibrant. And I get a lot of no's, I get a lot of no thank yous, but then those that say yes, it's like, wow, this is so exciting. You can help me build this. And what a, what's my blind spot here? What do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do with your life? Understandably, a tough question for any 20-something to answer. So join me, your host, Taylor Marks of the Rise Year podcast, as I talk with some cool people about what they do and occasionally go on long rants of my own about the pains of growing up. Hey, I'm Kelly Stahl. I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina three and a half years ago from the Chicagoland area where I own and operated my own theater company. And now I'm in Charlotte trying to figure out what's next. What's next? All right, so we'll start at the beginning then. So you went to school, you got a degree. So if you wanna kind of take us from your mindset of why'd you study what, study what you studied and then kind of the first few jobs that you had right out of school. Oh, sure. Yeah, I got my BFA at Northern Illinois University and before that, I did attend a community college, McHenry County College. And I mentioned that because I circled back and I ended up working at McHenry County College out of school. But my BFA was in acting. So I, I got into the technique of Meisner. And so for the people in the world of theater, there's, there's different techniques you can train under. And I'm trained in the Meisner technique. And it was rigorous. I mean, there was 24 of us that got in the program. And by the end, there was only four of us left. And so they combined the master students, acting master students with the BFA. And so we could have seen because we were dropping like flies. So I survived that, got out of it, went straight into marriage, got married, still married, same guy. And I sort of kind of floated around, you know, those are the years where it's like, gosh, did I get the degree I should have, you know, am I doing what I should do? But my whole life, I've been somebody that has loved the craft of acting. It came naturally to me, but something about going through the training can whip out the imagination, the instinct, the, the, and it probably has a lot to do with the, the humans who trained me, <laughs> you don't want to slam, but it was a, it was more of a boot camp, and it was probably pretty toxic, especially by today's standards. You hear a lot of stuff in the theater of toxic directors, toxic producers, and they're, you know, not getting it away with it as much. Maybe you've heard of like some of the film producers that have gotten big trouble. Well, I would say that I'm leaning towards that was the sort of environment I was in where it was brutal. And there was also the good guys with the villains. So there were people that were helping, but that probably caused a stagnant 
season of my life of not necessarily jumping into the industry. How's that for the kickoff? <laughs> that's awesome. All right. So that you were kind of stagnant and that's like an interesting, you know, dive into why you were. Cause I think a lot of people kind of probably neglect those things that are kind of conflicting them and, you know, not prompting them to move forward in a way in which they want. So how do you navigate that path and ultimately like get out of being stuck and, and go into the industry that you wanted to go into? Yeah, I, I, well, I was newly married. So there was some distraction of setting up a place to live, you know, and establishing residency and him being more the breadwinner, my gosh, if I, if it was up to me to make money right away, we'd be eating beans from a can, you know, with my acting degree. So I was hustling for work, like teaching acting classes to youth and got into some youth programs where eventually I started to acting coach teens and things like that. And finding out that I really love equipping actors, especially those that love the craft, not the ones that their moms made them sign up for a class, you know? So helping them maybe get from A to B or just even uh, more developed in their craft. And I think that to kind of, um, you know, put a little cap on what I was talking about regarding maybe the, how I was misstewarded, you know, with my craft at, in college, I'd say that I learned a lot on how not to treat actors. And that is how I started to apply teaching, acting, and then eventually directing. I got pulled into, will you help assistant direct the big children's show? You know, there's 90 kids, we need help. Okay, you know, how do I do that? I don't know, you learn by jumping in and maybe, uh, and treating them the way I wished I was treated. And that's kind of how I got on my directing path, which also led to coming, circling back to McHenry County College, the two-year um, program I went to, and I was able to direct there. So I advanced a little bit with working with college kids. And then I went to Judson University and directed there. And then people started pulling me on as an acting coach. And then I started to private coach. And then it just started to become, all right, I'm teaching the craft I always loved and equipping actors. And then I started to work for a little bit at an equity house, some community theater. And then eventually I started my own theater company. Wow. All right. So you've kind of been around the block. You've done a bunch of different little things and built your way there. What makes a good acting coach? Like, how do you pull out these parts of people and kind of get them to shine on either the screen or the stage? Wow. I will not, I, I cannot speak like, okay, I'll just say, I'll speak for me what I do. I don't know if it makes a good, bad, right or wrong, but I get in there and I, I think I empathize first with the actor, you know, who, what their training is. I get into their beeswax. I'm curious, like you're curious when you're asking questions and try to get their objectives and really work towards their objectives and their strengths, what they already have, what, what I'm already working with. And I just, I don't know, I get in there and I think of myself, like, how would I like to be Okay, let me back up. I try to provide a very safe space, you know, and so it's personable, it's not intimidating, it's, you know, asking a lot of questions. And then I have a lot of tricks that I can pull out from my bag of just working with a lot of different people. And we try things on and, and then slowly equip. I guess like any trainer, you know, 
could anyone be a good actor or does it take like a unique skill set well skill set can be trained but is it like something that they're born with that makes a good actor yeah i think there's certain ingredients that are needed an imagination instincts you know you can't you can't really teach instincts because I cast. So what I do in Charlotte now is I, I cast for a film, a local film and commercials and weeding through, first you weed through faces. It's different than theater. You weed through the faces to kind of match what they want in the industry. But then when I get, I do things like I get on a Zoom call and just probably like you, like right away you feel the connection and you see what they're, they're, ranges and so it's a lot of judging you know but as far as can one act no, there's several people that just can't and I've had actors come back and say why didn't I get cast and I'm pretty honest you know you're not in the range or you need to probably go back and take some classes or maybe nobody's told you you've watched you've watched like these shows where you see people get up and sing and then they just can't carry a tune so I think like yes you have to have an ingredient you could want it but you may not be able to have the emotional range or the connection or the empathy needed how does someone because I think one of the interesting interesting things about acting is that you know you're playing someone else and you're like stepping into someone else's life or their shoes how do you form that connection between you know who you are and playing this other role that's not you, but at the same time, like you need to embody fully mm -hmm. who they are. Well, that's a, that's a good question. You ask good questions. I think that it's empathy. I think that's the biggest key. I mean, when you're having a conversation with somebody that's very different than you and, but you want to have that conversation, it's not forced upon you. Okay. You show up, you're present, you stay curious, you ask questions. You maybe find out the backstory and the history. And as you're taking in that information, there's something in you that can click, right? You can click with what it means to be embarrassed, or you can click to, you know, what it feels to be angry. You don't have to necessarily agree with, you know, or, but it's just uh, the empathy and emotions that you can come on board with. So, so I, yeah. It's a lot of like learning and then kind of trying to find the points that are similar in the character's life and your life. And how do you like form a gap? You could, you could do it that way. It could be just strictly historical, you know, like, oh, I relate because I grew up in America or I grew up, you know, or I've been married or I haven't been married. You could do that. But what do you do? Like, if you're a murderer or, or something, you know what I mean? Or you have a, a double life. Well, that's where the empathy of emotions come in. You can empathize with what it feels like to be really desperate or lonely, or you can muster that up or put your imagination. So the Meisner technique, like I mentioned, goes into digging into your imagination, bringing imaginary circumstances, but attached to real rich feelings, you know, imagining that happening to your brother or your mom, you know, and then getting into that, that headspace. That's one technique. There are lots of different techniques. People do method. They become that. And I don't know a lot about the method, but you've heard of probably method actors, you know, that get really like, I'm going to walk around like Abraham Lincoln in my home, you know, and <laughs> you know what I mean? So, and I, and I'm not belittling, I'm, I'm not knowledgeable, but that's how I would approach or help an actor approach a scene or character is we've got to be curious and we have to, we have to make sure that we're practicing empathy. 
What's interesting is I'm reading this book called The Body Keeps Score right now. Um, it's by, have you read that? I've only, I've, you're the third person that said, you've got to read it. Tell me more. <laughs> awesome, actually. And so one of the things I like is he talks about, you know, part of the healing from trauma is that you have to kind of relearn and re-understand your body and become, you know, who you are and own your body. And one of, he talks about yoga and meditation, but also theater actually is one of the ways that he says that people can heal from trauma, kind of understand themselves. And I think you touch on that, you know, with the empathy and being able to kind of relate, but then also, you know, you have to be confident and you're going on stage and you're doing all of these other things if you're acting in some way, shape or form. And I've never done it, but I haven't gotten to that part of the book yet. So all I know is like the little snippet of mm -hmm. it. Um, but I think that would be like interesting, like the studies and the correlations between trauma um, and, you know, how people had healed from going on stage or. That is interesting. And I, I don't know if I'd recommend using the outlet of theater for healing, but it can sneak up and happen because if you're doing a Pulitzer well-written piece, right, there's a difference between coming and doing a community theater piece that may have just been written for that community or for an era versus something like the greats, you know, like, I mean, Shakespeare or and diving into the headspace of a character, you know, in some of the history plays or whatever. I do think that if the director, if the producer is cultivating a safe space for artists to, to be vulnerable, I mean, that to me is key. And I, and I, again, the upbringing wasn't given to me. So that has become more important. I'm an advocate for safe safety you feel safe to explore and use your imagination right and practice creativity and practice your imagination in a safe space that's become more and more important to me as I've gotten older is to make mistakes you know while while practicing creativity and gosh I don't want to keep going on tangents but I will I will circle back to the the theater being a place for sure where you can stumble into your stuff into your trauma you're going to get triggered because of a character or because of something said to you on stage or the way that the director's steering the emotional you know rise and fall of the show for sure and I think because of that I'm going to say something probably unexpected there are a lot of amazing showmances that come out of being in the theater because of the vulnerability because of the the safeness that you feel and so like in all the shows that I've done I have four marriages that have come out of <laughs> plays because I think because of these ingredients of of you know kind of going into your stuff or navigating depth and, and that intimacy that just happens when you're with other people so I was not expecting that for my I was first caught off guard because you had said originally you've been married once to the same man and you said yeah. four showmances so I was thinking that was you nope. uh, I was gonna I was gonna ask some questions based off of that but yeah. awesome well that's yeah. pretty cool um Isn't that cool I understand that I mean purely I don't know anyone who's in theater but you know watching all the movies and stuff and they kind of make it seem like there's all these romances that typically spring up when people are acting, the time they spend and the roles that they're playing and everything like that. I think it's probably uh, common though in any space where there's a lot of pressure and projects, passion projects are being produced and your like-mindedness, maybe even camaraderie, you know, because perhaps the show isn't going the way you want it to or the project isn't and you're banding together. There's just this quick 
usually six to eight weeks is how long a person is preparing for a play and sometimes quicker, you know, depending upon the length, but yeah, the pressure and the getting together and rehearsing and eating together and maybe falling asleep at each other's place, you know, rehearsing. So there's a lot of ingredients that can cultivate intimacy in something that's emotion, you know, driven versus maybe in the business world or, you know, off, off stage. So yeah. That's interesting. I know. I didn't think we were going to talk about showing <laughs> <laughs> I like it though. Um, yeah. so I'm curious. So you run your own theater company now. What led you to starting? You're shaking your head. Well, you know, Inhabit Theater was formed in Illinois and it was done with people that I would collect, you know, in, in all these shows that I would do. And, and again, the youth theater that I began working with, maybe the high schoolers, I'd done life with them until they were full grown adults, gone through maybe theater or gone through, you know, even onto Broadway or whatever. And then they, they come back maybe and settle down and have family, but don't want to drive, make the drive to Chicago where really rich, good theater is happening. That's being, you know, you're being paid for. So a lot of people settled in the suburbs to do um, community theater. Right. And so what I wanted to do was to form some sort of a place where a safe space to tell a story with excellence. That was our motto or our mission statement. And I would collect these actors and want to pay them. That was really important. And so that was a driving desire. And they were so gifted, talented, trained and wanted to give them an outlet. So a bunch of us kind of got together and decided, well, um, the audience audience tends to like comedy so let's create comedy and uh, the most expensive aspect of, of, of running a theater is the the building so let's find free space so that was what we did we just the first spot we we were given for free was an empty big house for sale big house for sale and it had been sitting empty because it's not the market that we have and know now in Charlotte you know this is McHenry Illinois and we were given by the realtor the space and we created we cultivated we got 10 minute plays that we wrote or we found and paid you know rights for and we dropped them in, in different parts of the house and the audience would move room to room to see another show. So our expenses were chairs, folding chairs or gathering them and some refreshments afterwards. But we also filled the bedrooms with artists showing their art. So when the show was over, you could go see some art. And those that wanted to participate, that really wanted to play with this concept with us, some of them were actually on tour in Broadway and I had them record, back then it was the iPod. And so they recorded on their iPod, some musical tunes so that the after show, I played it, turned the shower on and put their headshot on the, on the mirror now singing in the shower. <laughs> you know, and so we we just we that's how it began. We used everybody's strengths, what they had, what we were given, very scrappy, but it was excelled in storytelling, excelled in acting and performing. And that's where we kicked off and habit. As far as am I doing it now? Well, I, I I've done a little bit since moving to Charlotte. It's been just a lot of upheaval when you move when you're 47. You know, I'm 50 now. So moving at 47 and coming into an environment, it's really important you know your environment before you just dive in and say, I'm here, I've got a theater company. You really have to sort of earn that. You need to serve the community. You need to get to know. And I came from a place where I knew my actors, you know, and we could build something together. So I have done some 
pieces here, but on the Zoom format. Mm -hmm. And I've done something kind of different than just theater. I've done art shows with a theatrical, you know, injection with them in Charlotte. You want to dive into that? Because that was pretty cool. Yeah, I just I feel like I hate talking too much. Like I, I but I guess this is what this podcast is. is okay. Yep. So when I got here, I did try to get into the theater community. In fact, I thought, well, the best way to get to know the theater community, I should audition. And they were having this audition where uh, I believe eight plus theater companies were represented in one place where the actors would just come in and audition. It's called Unified Auditions in Charlotte. So actors would come in, audition for a group of directors from different theater companies. And I went, okay, why don't I do that? I haven't acted in a long time. So I go on and they were booked. There's no slots for actors. It was booked. So then I go, darn it, I really want to meet the theater community. So I went back in and I, I called the head of the unified auditions and I said, Hey, I'm a new theater company fresh from Chicago. And I would love to sit on your panel to audition actors. Can I get in there? Absolutely. So I got to come in and instead of auditioning, I sat on the panel and I got to meet the theater makers. I got to meet the actors that came through and that led to just collecting a few actors to cast in some film and, and et cetera. That's what started that. But where I started to really dive deep with people and uh, the tinkers and thinkers and the philosophers are the, is the art scene. Charlotte has a vibrant art scene and the people are kind and smart and collaborative. And I would go to events, maybe see their gallery or Charlotte is creative. Creative mornings is a big place for creatives to come to monthly for free and you meet and network. And again and again, I'd be invited for coffee or I'd invite them to coffee. And I just start to, they blow my mind. Their, their brilliance, their artwork. So after really spending a couple of years of just cultivating those friendships and supporting them, I thought we got to put on an art show and artists need to get paid. It was the same like heartbeat that I had for Inhabit. Actors need to be paid. Musicians need to be paid. We don't just give it away. We got our degrees, you know, these artists are definitely selling work. Don't get me wrong. They're, they're doing a-okay, but there's something a little off to me of going to galleries and getting a free beer, not paying admission, and then looking at the beautiful art, consume, consume, and leave. And maybe somebody bought a piece. But how do we get these artists compensated for their time, their work, and all the fees that go into hanging in a gallery? I was, it was an education, you know? So we threw an art show in my backyard in July, just this last July. And I paired the most unlikely pairings of two artists, and I'd give them a word associated with church because I'm going through this phase of, you know, what is church anyway? And that was just what I was digesting. So I gave them words usually associated with church, and they worked for three months to create content. And then we hung it all in my backyard. I have a pool. So we hung it around the fence around the pool. And I had a singer, songwriter, Emily Sage, sing while we had Joy Davis, this dancer who, who choreographs, you know, for the Boston Conservatory of Dance happens to live here in Charlotte. She danced around my pool. We charged tickets for people to come to see the art show. And we divided that up for the, and I got free wine from our home builder to give us wine and we served wine. And instead of tipping for the wine, we asked that patrons tip the art. So if you didn't, you know, purchase a piece, you're at least invited to Venmo or, you know, tip the art. 
And that's what we did. And we had a blast and we sold pieces and we limited it to 25 you know, patrons at a time, we did three shows. So it was really cool. And so it was kind of theatrical, you know? Yeah. So it sounds like overall, you're just basically like a mover. You're like, how can I connect these people, bring them into a situation and then create something, you know, the something kind of varies depending on what you're doing and where you are, but you're all about bringing people together and kind of helping them with their vision or their plan. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, thanks for thinking that about me. I don't, I'm 50, like I said, because I, I, I mentioned that because I, I still think that I'm figuring out who am I, what am I doing? Um, what are the ingredients I had early on and clues that helped me to figure out what I'm good at or what I, I, I get up in the morning, you know, I want to do. And I love surrounding myself with people that are just very creative and I don't know. I just want to plug them in. I just want, I want to see them get to the next level. But that said, I'll I'll let you know, Taylor, I'll let you know a secret. I just signed up for acting classes again, and it's with a woman, Marla Brown. She teaches at Davidson college and just serendipitously, we found each other and she's teaching this. Like I mentioned, one method was Meisner. She's teaching this method called Uta Hagen. And these are workshops workshops and it's a technique it's 10 weeks and I'm going to be taking this workshop I've always wanted to go to New York to take Uta Hagen and I'm going to do it right here in Charlotte so I'm diving back into my first love and it's strange to not be leading to not be equipping but just coming in again as a student and you know we're never too old to learn take classes you know try on a new it's scary it's so scary (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> You've got a childlike joy when you, like when you were talking about it a few seconds ago, like it seems like, you know, you're very excited to start when it does start to kind of get back into it and fully embrace what it is that you love doing. Yeah, it's risky. The older you get, the more maybe hardened, bitter, right? It's easy to grow bitter roots and uh, get offended and hold offense. You know, I believe that that's part of the struggle of aging and to stay soft and to stay in that what if, you know, mind frame. And so maybe the childhood, the childlike joy that you're seeing is I'm daring myself to say, what if, what if this is going to be better than back in college? You know, what if I get to kind of have a do-over and be treated with respect and love and grow in the craft. I so still respect. What made you want to go back and take the class? Boredom sometimes, right? Boredom, boredom can help, right? That that's an ingredient. And knowing that doing the art show, it was a, it was a success in that there was so much joy in the artists doing it. There was conversations that were incredible. I put a pew in my pool and just let it float around. And I think that was, that was like awesome conversation came out of that. So that's how I define success. There was interaction between audience and makers and people walked away and they had an experience, right? That was unexpected. So I guess like I, that now that that, that happened, I saw the meaning on the faces of these artists, like they have meaning, they have more work, they have more content to create. And I'm still kind of left floating going, hmm. I mean, I do make art, I do, but that's something I fell into when I moved here. I do assemblage art, but I don't get as excited 
as creating content that's theater or, I don't know, boredom kind of led to, wait a minute, what happened to my acting career? You know, what happened? <laughs> so quiet, boredom, COVID, you know, these are ingredients of reflecting lots of the big stuff. And this opportunity just feels really valuable to me. Like the timing feels really exciting. Well, I'm excited to see what happens and to see how the 10 weeks go. When do you start? Mm. The 18th, September 18th. I've got lots to read. I've got to get in there and read. And I got to, I got to start practicing. <laughs> <laughs> You'll do great. That's awesome. Very cool. Thank you uh, so something I want to ask you since you've planned a lot of events and you know, you're really good at bringing people together. What's your process like for you have an idea, whether it's for a play or it's for an art show, how do you take that idea and then bring it to life? Well, I think, you know, we are defined by what we love, but we're also defined by what we hate. You know, uh, I mean, I think we could, you know, like I hate hospitality. Okay. There. I hate it. I hate thinking about the audience and their needs. And I hate thinking about how we're going to shuffle them from place to place. So then what I do is I find those people that are just geeked out by hospitality. I find people that love what I don't love and that catch my blind spots. I love collaborating with people. So that and that takes risk, you know, especially when you move to a new city where you don't have those people that I did life with, you trust, you just go and have conversations, have coffee, you connect, and you invite. People love to get invited to something that's worthy, you know, and it's exciting and vibrant. And I get a lot of no's, I get a lot of no thank yous, but then those that say yes, it's like, wow, this is so exciting. You can help me build this. And what, what's my blind spot here? So it, the idea, I don't know how, where ideas come from. My friend, Lori Smithwick, who was one of my artists, she's actually a TEDx talker too. And she did this TEDx talk on where ideas come from. So she believes it's, oh, she's, she's texting me right now. That is weird. Does it, you know, shout out to Lars Muswick. She did this beautiful TEDx talk about where ideas come from and I won't spoil it, but it's not the light bulb. You know, I'll let you kind of look that up, but ideas for me, I call it voomed. I get voomed with an idea. It just vooms. And it's like, I need to do something about this right now. My husband of 27 years, good old Tim Stahl, he, he can see that in my eyes when I'm getting like downloaded with like a concept or something I have to do. And I don't know, I just pay attention to it. And then I gather and doors open, you know, when it's the right timing or doors shut. And I write it down as a future idea. And I have ideas that are just asking, can we come out now and play? Can we, um, you know, so awakening, there's a, there's a passage I do like in scripture that says, do not awaken love before it's time. So there is something about awakening the right thing when it's time, you know, how do you, so you kind of wait, there's, how do I phrase this? It's like in part waiting, but it's also in part acting on kind of that impulse of whatever it may be, whether it's very vivid and bright and you're like, this is the direction, or it's like, I feel an inkling to go X direction. Don't know why, but we're going to go that way and kind of see what happens. Yeah, I, I think, okay, if I think through the logical steps of how I get from A to B, you know, I, I know that I'm a treasure hunter. This is, this has defined me from early childhood, loving to find things that are misplaced, 
you know, grew up in Georgia, Stone Mountain, Georgia area, and found a mound of a turquoise rocks in the woods. You know, this was the most fascinating find. I'm like six, you know, and I couldn't believe I found treasure, you know, and I had to, I had to hide it, you know, and it wasn't until maybe early adulthood that I, I, I put the pieces in my head, like th those were somebody's fish rocks that they had dumped out the dead fish rocks, but you know, like just the um, imagination and finding that treasure and, you know, using it later. And that's how I do my assemblage art. I'll find things that when I'm thrifting and then I'll put two unlikely things together. And it's sort of like casting, you know, it's like you start to find people and you're like, whoa, you're, you play the cello, you tap dance, who does that, you know, excellently anymore. We've got to find an outlet for that, you know, and I just kind of store them back there. So coming to Charlotte, sitting on that panel, seeing the sea of actors come through to audition for me, the new person in town, taking notes on what they're great at, having their headshot with all their information right there. And then, whoa, I've got these people I could play with. They want to play. How can I create something where we're all going to have a good time? That's kind of like, I'm sorry if that was a real big ramble, but that's the way my brain works. I, I, I think I stumble into a treasure, I find it, and then I start to put all the ingredients in my head and I cook something up. Well, I think that's, I mean, I love hearing, I love the rambling, so keep the rambling up. But no, I think that's where a lot of people get stuck is that they get stuck and they have the idea and then how do, you said you gather and you figure out how to connect these dots you're really good at that. And so I was just kind of interested a little bit on that in particular, like, you know, how do you say you want this idea, but maybe this idea isn't working of having, mm -hmm. I don't know, 10 people come out with trombones or something, no yeah. idea. And then like restructuring if that doesn't work and kind of like being able to like tap into all the nose and just like press forward essentially. Right. And not being, you know what, here's, here's an ingredient that, that may not be what you want to hear, but not being afraid of making a mistake and doing it wrong. You know, I know there's lots of personality types and we have to navigate our personality and I could get into that perfectionist mode, but I don't. And I think the opposite of perfection is to play and, 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 and being okay with making mistakes and picking the wrong person, even, you know, I've overcome so many tragedies within a play. Like you're like, again, it's six to eight weeks. And we've, there's the, the amount of like jumping into a project. And while you're doing the project, you realize, oh my gosh, that person's marriage is falling apart. They're in crisis or I'm going to say something really sad. I'm so sorry, but I'm about to say something that really happened in a show. We had somebody take their life in the middle of or the beginning of. And that those big moments kind of help you, you know, in the moment, decide how to lead and where, you know, what, what's priority. We, we, we were doing a comedy and tragedy is happening. And so I think some of those ingredients of jumping in and navigating whatever the priority the day brings and deciding, you know, you can change your mind. Do we still keep going or do we, do we stop, you know, and navigate this? And is it possible to do both? Can we stop and navigate this and then, and push back and keep going and through trial and error of honestly, not knowing ever, ever what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing, you know, I I'm, but I'm okay with not knowing what I'm doing because I'm trying to remain curious and trying to bring people that do know what they're doing in one aspect. And those are the ingredients that are going to help us succeed. It might, 
might be a vision I have to do the one type of a show, but as I fold in actors and as I fold in um, designers, you know, and as I fold in maybe some personalities that I don't care for, the admin types or whatever, or the, you know, rigid it reshapes it. We, we, we make room for those people. It becomes this community that it, it reshapes. And then when we think it's all done, we put it out there and the audience's energy comes in and it changes it too. So there has to be, I guess, in this field that I'm in to be open to share, to be open for failure, to be open to, whoa, we just went in a whole different direction. This was supposed to be a comedy. It's now going to be, you know, a little more uh, serious and reflective, so. How do you step back when you have, you know, those moments where somebody um, takes their life or somebody's marriage is falling apart and, you know, you're technically at work and there, all of these things are coming in and then you have your own life as well. But, you know, you have six to eight weeks where you're fully just focused on this. Like, how do you navigate that? I assume it's fairly difficult so difficult like that I gave you some of the most extreme examples but it seems to me I don't know when I look back at some of the most rewarding things we've ever done or produced there there's the biggest obstacles and there's lots of beliefs in what obstacles are in the acting world the obstacles are used a lot in the acting world like what's the obstacle in the scene to getting what you want from your scene partner like right now, what do you want? And what's the obstacle? So obstacles is kind of a common, you know, terminology. And somebody, a new friend here in Charlotte mentioned to me, when I bring up these big, heavy obstacles, like, dang it, I just need to sell more tickets, you know, whatever. He said, but the obstacle is the objective. And I'm like, what? I've always heard we have to get through over the obstacle, figure out how to get what you want, you know, but sometimes the obstacle is the lesson or the the thing that we need to just sit with so I guess being open enough to know what priority is I might have wanted to put on a show but isn't the humanity of someone taking their life way more worth my focus and to navigate a crew of you know college kids that have to navigate like maybe we're on time to face this and it's only going to serve anything better, their studies, their other things, their family life, if we really address this and look at it together and then decide along the way, can we still put on a project together? Is it, is it the time? Should we put it down? So being open to what, what the uh, obstacle presents. Wow. Main event. Sucks. It totally sucks. It's letting go of control, you know? Which is pretty hard to do for most. I mean, I definitely struggle with that. I like the control and kind of knowing what's going to happen and being able, I think it's more the expectation of when you're in control, you can expect things to happen. Whereas when you don't have the control, free reign. But Taylor, you have no idea if profanity was going to come out of my mouth, you know, (laughs) take us on a topic on talk on pickles. I mean, like you are jumping into this podcast with taking risk. You might like control like me. I mean, I, I think, you know, there's a leadership aspect of directing, right? You got to get everybody on board with a vision. So of course, when there's kerfuffle and unexpected and plot twist, I think that you are setting yourself up for plot twists when you put on a podcast. You don't know what's going to come out of my mouth. Well, that's very true. 
that's very true it's the entertainment part of it i guess <laughs> and it's not live but yeah i think i like it in certain regards definitely i think of when it's more of a personal aspect i like to be in control but for this i think that one it allows me to talk to people and i think that's one of the beauties of humans is that when you have that conversation you really can't go in with any expectations like i do a little bit of research on people but mm -hmm. i don't like doing a lot because like i was talking to you know some woman a few weeks ago and she ended up like taking a random job as like they called an oj girl for a live event and orange juice girl and she's basically just like working the stage turns out she ended up like becoming one of the directors of that event and then now she runs like these big art shows and does all of this stuff so like i wouldn't have known that from her profiles or anything and so i think the reaction is just more in the moment if i kind of leave it as is yeah. And what you're saying, I think if you go back and you just listen to how you just phrased that and what you just said, that is to me, the goal of theater is in the moment, moment to moment work, being present with what's given to you. Even if the words have been in the rehearsal, you've heard them over and over again, the ingredient of what the human brings you know, to the table, it changes. And if you're listening, you'll catch the changes and you'll react in an honest way. So it's just honesty. It's revealing humanity in a real honest in the moment way. That's the goal, I think, of theater and storytelling. Yeah, well, that's beautiful. That's very cool. All right, so we're gonna kind of change it a bit for the last few minutes. The first question is, if you had a book written about you, what would the title of the book be? Something, something to do with uh, practice creativity. Something like that. Practice something. Oh man, I'm going to have a better title like an hour after this conversation. But something about imagination, something about creativity, tell a good story with your life, something. You know, that's what I, that's what I think a goal is, is I want to tell a good story with my life on stage and off stage. So maybe that's it. Telling a good story with my life on and off the stage. Boom. Yeah, I like it. There we go. Good work. Um, so if you, I don't know how to phrase that. We'll come back to that one. If you had 24 hours to live, unlimited money, and could travel anywhere at the snap of your fingers with whoever you wanted, what would you do? Oh, dang. Thanks. Thanks for this one too. This is a gift. This is like, wow, man. I guess there are people that come to my mind that really know me and see me for who I am and make me laugh. And those are the people that, that quickly come to my mind is those just kindred souls. So that's who I'd want to spend my last 24 hours, my daughter, for sure. My, my buddy, my writing partner, Janelle and dear old Kelly Lay, you know, there, there are just those people that are just, and, and Eva, Eva Crawford, she's here in Charlotte. We would get on a plane maybe we just let the plane take us where it takes us you know and improv the day but eat really good food and make sure we laugh you know just find cause to laugh and and meet people a good day that sounds like a great 24 right. hours right there yeah maybe <laughs> i'll do that maybe i'll do that taylor i'll do that what's one project or or piece of work that's already out there that you dream of working on that would just make your day, your life, your week, whatever it may be, if you got to 
bring that to life? Well, I'm working on something right now I'm excited about. And to me, I think it's whatever the project that's bubbling up is the project. Not to say I wouldn't go back and revive some of the things I've done. I'm very, very proud and satisfied, but you know, I would love to keep going with some of the old stuff, but considering I haven't locked and shook on it because of this whole COVID business, you know, what can we do, you know, in theater right now, but I'm creating an immersive Shakespeare experience for my home, got the piano, got the actors, and creating it with their talent in mind and sort of breaking the fourth wall with the audience to do storytelling mixed with scene work and tearing the curtain a little bit about the process of stuff and using using ancient text to see if it's relevant for today. So I'm doing that now and it's it, I'm geeked out about it while I'm also creating artwork, you know, and meddling with deeper things. I like to do humor and creative stuff with theater and then I, I meditate on deep stuff, philosophy and such with my, with my art. So I think I'm doing it. I think I'm, I think I'm on track with doing the next thing that's going to get me geeked out. Hope awesome. so. Well, that's awesome. That's very cool. The next one is would Kelly at eight, 10, 12, whatever age you want to pick around there, would she be happy with where you are now and what you're doing? No, I think the eight-year-old would be like, why aren't you on Broadway or why aren't you a movie star? Duh, you know, 12 year old version, she would be so proud of me for doing artwork, you know, like she'd be shocked, like, oh, that's why you collected all that stuff, you know, you know, the, the college girl that was kind of in that classroom watching the clock tick and wanting to get out and in my unitard, because we all had to wear these unitards and surrounded by mirrors is awful, you know, I think that she'd be pretty impressed that I took the bad experiences and the long hours of, you know, torture in acting class and used it to help others, you know, to gain access to what you hoped you were going to get. And then maybe even three years ago, being in, being very comfortable in my community, being very known, very, very loved and living in a place I don't know. I think three-year-old, she'd be pretty impressed that, oh my gosh, you're taking acting classes again. You wouldn't have done that back here. So yeah, I think that, is that arrogant? I don't mean to be arrogant. There's stuff and aspects of my life that are awful, that aren't great. I miss my kids. They're launched, you know? I miss being known and, and having the comforts of, of those deep friendships I want to get on a plane with right now, thanks to you, to go hang out in Vienna or something, you know? But that part's sad. You know, that part's lonely and awful. Like all that work just to move somewhere and not have the gain of those people and access to the people I did so much life with. But I don't think that's a pride or a, I'm disappointed. It's just, man, that's a, that's a crappy plot twist. But what am I going to do? You know, start over. Yeah. Well, it's a yearning. And I mean, I think the biggest pro from that is that it was something good. And that's something worthwhile to carry with is that, you know, you had something that was so good and makes you even still three years later, like, wow, I miss these people, I miss this place. And, and the sense of belonging is like, everybody wants to belong in some way, shape or form to people and to have a place where, you know, people know your name or they know your coffee order, they know all these things about you. Like that makes a complete difference for just a human and their, their mental state and just overall well-being. Yeah, the ache. I'll, I'll say though, that I collect emotions and to have access to the emotion of ache and misfit 
And that's a worthy emotion to understand now and empathize with as I move back into the realm of theater so that I have a bigger palette, you know, to paint with, because mm-hmm. this is, this is a real life, you know, trauma, you know, to move and to lose and to let go. You let go of kids, you lose what you had. And, and now I've got that emotion in my, in my backpack. Now you can use it. Yeah. Hopefully for good and not for evil. <laughs> yeah. Let's hope so. <laughs> All right. Last question is what do you want to accomplish either personally, professionally, and, or both in the next six to 12 months? Good grief. Uh, You have great questions. Hmm. Well, how about I just, how about I just keep it simple and take it back to that book that I'm going to, you know, have written about me, I guess, that I tell a good story with my life on and off the stage, whether it's the stage or the platform of a job, career, uh, a project that I'm loving people well, I'm seeing people the way I want to be seen, you know, and I'm being present with people and striving to know them as I'm wanting to also to be known and then telling a good story with the, with the product that I'm making, that it's done with excellence. It's done with all those ingredients of emotion and empathy and presence. And it's done with the excellence of the training, whether it's music or, 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 you know, articulation or bringing text alive. So telling a good story, both on and off the stage, that's, that's my objective. My two takeaways from my conversation with Kelly are, first, find the people who like to do what you don't. You don't have to have all the skills. You just need to know how to build relationships with others who do. This is part of building a puzzle. Also, life's a little better, a lot better, with company. The second is, in both theater and life, it's about being present with what's given to you. Listen to the changes and bring humanity and honesty to the table and see what happens. 